0: We find ourselves in Romans chapter 11 tonight. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. Welcome those of you that are joining us on Facebook Live. So, verse 25, So that you will not be conceited, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gift and calling are irrevocable. That's a big word, important word. Uh, Irrevocable, as you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also now may receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments, and untraceable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has ever first given to Him and has to be repaid? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come this evening, we thank You again for Your Word, for explaining to us uh, your plans, and uh, though we may not get all of the information, we get all that's necessary. So we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we might not only behold wonderful things from your word, but that we might understand well what you have told us, uh, so that we can uh, continue in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen. So notice the title here tonight is, God Has Not Canceled His Promises to Israel, Part 3. His setting Israel aside is purposeful, and it's for His glory, to glorify God. So, letter A, God's glory. God's ultimate overriding purpose is to glorify Himself. Unfortunately, we've become so man-centered in so many things that God's purpose was to save sinners. No, His purpose was to glorify Himself. He saves sinners so that he might be glorified through that saving. But some people he doesn't save so that he might be glorified through that them not being saved. And you have to understand there's a whole lot that goes with that. But the, the reality is everything God does is for his glory. It is not about mankind, not about us. Uh, letter A, salvation benefits people, both Jews and Gentiles. Letter B, salvation brings the, the changes necessary so that humans can bring glory to God. Uh, again, we, we, I know we've talked about the, uh, the New Covenant uh, a lot. Uh, part of it is because as I've been examining this subject, I'm in awe that look what God said He was going to do. Notice, what part did you participate in? Believing. Believing. And even that is a gift of God. It's kind of like, whoa, God really laid this thing out so that he gets all the glory. It wasn't about, you know, Al was such a nice kid. I think I'm going to save him. And he's better looking than his siblings, you know. No, nothing to do with that. It's God was doing it for his glory. And so he, in saving us, he does all that's necessary so that we can live differently to glorify him. Okay. Uh, number two, there's two aspects of God's glory. Number one, His intrinsic glory. This is part of His being and nature, if you will. It is His very essence. It is who He is. He is glorious. Okay. Moses desired to see His glory back in Exodus 33:18 to 23, and he said, "Please show me Your glory." And He, God, said. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Uh, and uh, the funny thing is, is let me see, I, I have here uh, Exodus 34, 5-7. to seven. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation." That was the glory that Moses was exposed to. The rest of God is so glorious that you can't see me and live. God says, "Okay." And then, of course, we have Jesus displayed His glory. Uh, many of you are familiar with John 1.14. and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only one begot, uh, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so he is the, uh, we see his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 18 says, no one has seen God at any time. Now, I don't know about you, but I just read a passage where Moses got to see God. But God said in that very passage, no man can see me and live. So he allowed him to see what man can see. But he didn't see it all, okay? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He has revealed him. Uh, That's why in John 14, Jesus could say to Philip, Philip's sitting there saying, Show us the Father. It might have been Thomas. Uh, I get some of them confused from time to time. He only had five kids. I didn't have 12. (laughs) But uh, he says, have i been with you so long and you don't get it yet if you've seen me you've seen the father okay so that was uh jesus displaying god's glory so letter b his given glory for letter a was his intrinsic glory uh letter b his given glory the honor men and angels render to him uh if you haven't read through the uh, book of Revelation other than our Sunday morning scripture reading, go back and take a look at it. Take a look at chapter 7. Take a look at chapter 14. Um, and there, uh, Chapter 4, and you're going to see angels, uh, living creatures, all giving glory to God. And then when you get to chapter 7, you're going to see uh men, hundreds of thousands of them, uh, 10,000 times 10,000, that kind of thing. Same with chapter 14. Whole point being is that's the idea, the honor and uh, that uh, men and angels render to him. Number two, it does not add or take away from his intrinsic glory. If you glorify God by praising Him, by uh, showing adoration, it doesn't add to His glory. You're just doing what you ought to be doing because He's glorious, (laughs) okay? Uh, Notice recognition or acknowledgement of that glory is what this is all about. It happens through speech and living that displays that glory. Now, I'm going to share a little secret with you. Saved for 41 years. uh, Four months after I was saved, I go to Bible college. And they make sure they teach us how to present the gospel. And of course, on weekends, we would have to go to churches, whereby normally we're going out and doing little surveys in the neighborhood and trying to share the gospel with people. Um, I have been a part of doing the surveys. I've been a part of uh, multimedia presentations with drama and singing, sharing the gospel with people. Uh, I have uh, head up various uh, outreach programs. I was a certified teacher trainer for Evangelism Explosion at Edgemont Bible Church uh, in the past. Um, I want you to know, when it comes to outreach, outreach is something we're all doing, Now notice, I didn't say should be. We're doing it. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Good witnesses, bad witnesses, you're going to be a witness. No if ands, or buts. And you're going to do it, hometown, where you live, the county around you, the state, and then to the uttermost part of the earth, wherever you are. When we go to Matthew 28, Uh, Go ye therefore, right? Well, the command form and the as-you're-going form are exactly the same. So which is it? Well, those Baptists, they like evangelism, so go. If everyone's going, who's back here praying for them and sending money? And uh, It's as you're going. It's talking to all of us. It's not a matter of going to another country. Should some people go to another country? Sure. And God takes care of that, doesn't he? Now, I'll bet he wish he had a few more volunteers, but the reality is, is it's not a matter of going, it's as you're going. When you're going to the uh, grocery store, when you're going to buy gas, when you're doing whatever kind of business that you have to do, you are being a witness. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Now, again, what kind of witness? It seems to me when I look at the New Testament, You see Paul doing all kinds of outreach. How many of you are Paul? No, no, not many Pauls. There are some Pauls out there, and there's nothing wrong with being a Paul. The reality is, is most of the people did outreach by whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. See, according to 1 Peter 3.15, we're supposed to consecrate the Lord God in our hearts. In other words, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Another way of saying that, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Another way of saying that is walk in the Spirit. Another way of saying that is be filled with the Spirit. Another way of saying that is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Live the life that God has in you by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, and you will be witnesses. First Peter 3 goes on to say, and be ready to give an answer. Whole point being is if you're living different, some people are going to notice. And Lord willing, some of them are going to ask you questions. Especially if you're about the business of being relational. Uh, every now and again I... Meet some kid that comes to the church, and they're shy. And you say hi, and they don't say anything to you. Parents, stop t- letting your kids be shy. But that's the way they no. That's unkind. It's disrespectful. It is considering me more important than the other person. The other person said something to you. What is the polite thing to do? Respond. Treat one another the way you would have people treat you. Hmm. Just a parenting tip there from a grandfather of kids who, (laughs) Um, when we were down in Brazil, Hannah, everyone loved Hannah. Why? Hannah was a little itty bitty thing with blonde hair. And the Brazilians would walk by and they would pet her because they, they, they're not used to that fine hair and blonde and all that kind of stuff. And and Hannah even asked, why are they petting me? Um, but um, we would go into a store, and the shop owner would want to give her a lollipop. And Lynn would say, say, obrigada, Say thank you. Ain't going to say anything. Fine, give them the lollipop back. And the store owner would say, oh, no, you don't have to do it. Yes, she does. You either say thank you or you're not getting the lollipop. Why? Because that's the right thing to do. Now, Hannah was a stubborn little bugger. She takes after her mom. And uh she wouldn't say thank you for a while. And then she decided she liked lollipops and started saying thank you. Uh, but whole point being is we are witnesses by the way we live when we're walking in the Spirit. Uh, and, and I emphasize that when we're walking in the Spirit because if you're a normal, everyday American person you're not that bad. And what did Jesus say? You do this, big whoop, so do the Gentiles. See what I'm saying? So it's not a matter of you just being an okay person, it's you living in the power of the Spirit so that people will see there's a difference. Hopefully some of them will ask, and then you get to tell them why you have this hope in you. What hope? Hey, Jesus is coming back, He's going to take this old, tired body, and he's going to make it new. He's going to remove all remnants of sin from me. I'm going to be like him. Hair or no hair, I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get there. But the whole reality is is this world, I'm just passing through, as the old song says. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Uh, and we ought to be able to do that day in and day out and day in and day out. And that's how God's program in the Scripture was meant to reach. Yes, there are Pauls, but most of you are not a Paul. But be a witness. Consecrate the Lord God in your heart. Walk in the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can uh, honor and glorify Him through the way you live. Notice, happens through speech and living that displays that glory. So number three. He doesn't share his glory with others. Remember good old Nebuchadnezzar? I really like Daniel chapter four. And and the reason is, is God warns Nebuchadnezzar, look, bud, you're getting a little haughty for your britches. And if you keep it up, here's how I'm gonna knock you down. He has that dream, the tree, and gets cut down, got an iron band around it, gonna walk around, and his hair and his nails are gonna grow, and he's gonna eat like a wild animal. And Daniel gives it to all of them and then gives them some good advice. You, you know, you need to kind of humble yourself and and recognize who you are compared to who God is. And uh, he does okay for about a year. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks at over Babylon and says, man, am I something or what? And God says, what? <laughs> and he goes nutso. Uh, he goes off and wanders in the wilderness for seven years. And uh, then he says, I, I came to my right mind. And I realized that God was God. And, and you read the latter part of that chapter, and Nebuchadnezzar is giving all the glory to God. I, I personally think that when we get to heaven, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, not sure about Darius or Darius or whatever his name is, but I, I, he might be there too. Um, Cyrus, eh, we'll see. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think Cyrus would be there. But again, who knows what God did? Uh, Ahasuerus, and all those kings back there, you know? Yes? No, you, okay, I thought you were going to say something there. So, uh, he doesn't share his glory with others. How about Herod in Acts chapter 12? Uh, he gives a speech. And everybody is coming up and trying to get on his good side because Herod was known for being a little bit off on the left side, you know. And, uh, they're telling him how great the speech was. They had never heard anything like it. It was like the gods. And he said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and God struck him. Worms in his heart or something like that. And, you know, some people think he had a stroke or whatever the case is. He didn't live long after he didn't give God the glory for whatever, however his speech was. So that brings us to uh, letter B, to glorify God's sovereignty. In verses 25 through 26a, he says, For I do not desire that you should be ignorant of this mystery. In uh, Romans 16, 26, it says, But now has been made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations according to the commandment ...of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Ephesians 3, 5-7, through 7, ...which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. So whole point being is uh, there's, there's stuff in the Old Testament that's not revealed until we get to the New Testament. And he is referring to this mystery. He doesn't want them to be ignorant of it. Why? Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. You know, when you... Uh, come to conclusions without having all of the facts, it's real easy to stand on your little box and say, this is the way it is. Until someone comes along with the other facts. And then you step back and it's kind of like, oh. And, and that's the whole point here. Uh, letter B, the first aspect of this blindness. And now remember, uh, when the church comes along, Israel had had the opportunity their Messiah came. By rights, they should have been looking for their Messiah. We have 483 years from 445 BC. When the proclamation goes forth to rebuild the city, there's going to be seven and 62 weeks, 69 weeks, 69 sets of seven, 483 years. And then Messiah is going to be presented. They're going to see him. Well, those that know how to do all the figuring, it's a uh, 360-day year and stuff like that, they've got it to the day, because they know when the proclamation went forth, they've got it to the day of uh, Palm Sunday. And then it says, and then Messiah will be cut off. And what were they looking for? They were looking for a reigning king. Someone that was going to come in and take care of Rome. Messiah will be cut off. I wonder what that means. Reigning king. Yeah, that's it. Now, there were other scriptures that talked about him being a reigning king. And he's going to be. Just not that time. Uh, hmm. It's in Luke. I think it's for chapter 19. It talks about they didn't recognize or didn't want the visitation. And therefore, all, every stone was going to be uh, off of the other uh, in, in the book of Luke. the reason You know, we know about when Rome comes in in 70 AD, all the stones are going to be knocked off because the gold melted and they want to get at that gold. Well, Jesus specifically said that was going to happen because they had rejected him. They had rejected the visitation that they should have been looking for. Okay? Uh, so whole point being, though, this blindness came upon Israel because God had more plans that he didn't tell them about. Uh, and we see here that it's a partial blindness because some Jews got saved and became part of the church on the day of Pentecost. What do you got? Three thousand saved. A couple of chapters later, you got five thousand saved. Those were all Jewish people because Gentiles were not accepted into the body until Chapter ten, eleven is when it happened. The church actually makes a proclamation in chapter 11 and then clarifies that whole thing in chapter 15. Uh, whole point being is it's still a little while before Gentiles are coming in. So some Jews got saved. They were part of the church. Number two, God has preserved for himself a believing remnant, and we already looked at that in Romans chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. So let her see the second aspect of this blindness. It is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until refers to a time. Okay. Fullness indicates completion. Both, you know, impermanence. In other words, this is going to come to an end. Okay. A partial blindness will only last for God's divinely determined duration. Uh, The uh, Friday night we had our family book study where we're studying Dr. David Jeremiah's book titled Where Do We Go From Here? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, There's too much grease in my hair and it slipped my mind. Um, And (laughs) but uh, one of the things that he points out. (laughs) Sheila liked that one. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that uh, he points out, if I can remember what it was now. Oh, (laughs) there we go. Uh, He uses the verse in Peter that talks about uh, looking forward to and hastening the coming of the Lord. How many of you want to see Jesus come back in a 100 years? No hands. How many of you like to see him come back like soon? Our definition of soon, not God's. Because he said soon 2,000 years ago, right? Um, and, and the reality is, is, you want to see him come back? Go out and start witnessing. Because you want to know something? He's not coming back until the fullness of the Gentiles. In other words, when the last Gentile gets saved and becomes a part of the church, bang. He can come back anytime time after that. But not until. Uh, and when I look at the church outreach, I mean, I have people telling me, why don't we have an outreach program? We do. You're it. (laughs) Tag. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Be about the business of living for Christ. Why? So more people get saved, Lord willing. Now, some of them, they're not going to like you. Okay. You know something? God likes you. Whose opinion matters? Okay? Okay. Um, I know it it's tough when people don't like you. Believe me, they used to have to hang a pork chopper around my neck to get the dog to play with me. No, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> uh Whole point being is I understand what it's like not to be liked, okay? And somewhere in the rush, you've got to get thicker skin where it's kind of like, okay, it's not a problem because the only person that really matters, first of all, God. And then after that, I kind of hope my wife likes me, you know, especially after I pick on her <laughs> sometimes. Uh Letter uh, number four here. Until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the word comes in there as a uh, e serkomai uh, to enter, to come in, to come into, to go in through. Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 18. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they uh, had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, Listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out to the, of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. That's from Amos 9, 11, and 12. So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, known to God from eternity, are all his works. See, Gentiles being let in, it was always part of God's plan. And ultimately, if he has to partially blind Israel to get it accomplished, that's not a problem for him. So number two, afterwards, and so all Israel will be saved. So right off the bat, we know that when the church comes to its end, it leaves. And, and you know, there's there's differing opinions on the rapture of the church, when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, stuff like that. Uh, when you say, if it's going to happen, boy, you have a hard time uh, explaining First Thessalonians 4, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and following. But when it's going to happen, that's one of those things. It's not a fundamental of the faith, and there's differing opinions. You've got pre-trib. We believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Israel and the church are not the same entity. Right now, the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the church is removed. God returns to working on Israel the 70th week of Daniel. What we call the tribulation and the great tribulation, that's when God gets back to working on Israel, where he's going to bring Israel to repentance, and all Israel gets saved. Notice uh, we have 144,000 12,000 from each tribe, plus those who hear their preaching. We also have the initiation of the new covenant at Christ's second uh, coming, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. And again, I have read that so many times in the last few weeks, uh, I hope I don't have to read it again for you. Uh, Letter B, all ungodly members will be separated out. Ungodly members of Israel, listen to this. Ezekiel 20, 33 to 38. As I live, says the Lord, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face, just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt. Egypt, of the land of Egypt. So I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into a, a bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, God is going to bring Israel those that, like Abraham, believed. He's going to bring them back into this new covenant. But some of Israel isn't going to believe. They're not Israel. They may be Jewish, but they're not Israel. And so um, ungodly members will be separated out. So letter C, to glorify God's integrity, verses 26b through 29. Scripture teaches clearly that God is truth. And faithful to his word, would anybody argue that? Well, just in case. <laughs> Numbers twenty-three, nineteen: God is not a man that he should lie, nor the a uh, son of man that he should uh, should repent. He has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Hebrews ten, twenty-three: Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Second Peter three nine. the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whole point being, God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Now, for those who believe in a mid-trib rapture, a pre-wrath rapture, a uh, post-trib rapture, they have lots of questions that... If you look at scripturally, a Scripture literally, grammatically, historically, they have lots of questions that they can't answer. For example, the idea of a post-trib rapture. Christ comes back and he gathers the elect. We know that from Matthew twenty-four, twenty-five, right? Yeah, it doesn't mean the church. It means those that are saved at the time. Because if he gathers all of the elect, including the church, and they are glorified, rapture, okay, who starts the kingdom? Who, who goes into the kingdom and reproduces and has more children? Because we're all going to be glorified. We're going to be like the angels, not given in marriage, not marrying, not having children. Who's going to inhabit the kingdom? Because all un- unbelievers are going to be killed. Whole point being is, yes, he does gather the elect. The rapture of the church pre, there's a lot of people going to get saved during the tribulation. And a lot of them are going to die. Roman, uh, Revelation, not Romans, Revelation 14. <laughs> okay. Um, who are these people? These are all the ones that came out of the Great Tribulation. They were martyred. Bunch of them. Okay. Whole point being is they all have problems. They might say that our view has some problems. I think it is most consistent with a literal grammatical interpretation of the scripture, especially when you separate Israel and the church. Those that don't believe in a tribulation, a millennial kingdom, or things like that, uh, they have done this to church in Israel. The Israel has been replaced by the church, and we're spiritual Israel. All the promises have been spiritualized, and again, you have a real problem when you come to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. So God is truth and faithful to His Word. Number two, God has promised salvation and will fulfill it as it is written. Salvation would include forgiveness, eradication of that which separates from God. Notice, uh, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Uh, in Psalm 14, 7, oh, that... Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. The Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord, as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. <coughs> Excuse me. So we see in uh, number two here, For this is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. Isaiah 27, 9. Uh, 27, 9 Therefore by this is the iniquity of Jacob will be covered, and this is all the fruit uh And this is all the fruit of taking away his sins when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones uh, that are beaten to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. And again, within the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, one of the things he's going to do, he's going to forgive their sins. He's going to cleanse them. And so this is his covenant. Letter B, the Abrahamic unconditional covenant, which you find in Genesis 15. Uh, It is about the land in verse seven. Abraham has a question in verse eight in God's declaration concerning the future generations. Uh, he, within the declaration concerning the future generations, we see Abraham goes into a deep sleep. His descendants are going to go down into uh, Egypt for 400 years, stuff like that. Notice the cutting of the covenant. Abraham cuts the animals up and puts them uh, on both sides of an aisle, if you will, in verses 9 to 11. Uh, God talks about the trip to Egypt and slavery in verses 13 through 16. And then the question that has to be answered is, Who walked between them as being accountable for the covenant in verses 17 and 18? Yeah, God did, not Abraham. So God was going to do all of this. And and when you think about the covenant that God has with the land, it's an everlasting covenant. I've, I've met Christians who think that, the two-state option is an idea, and they're pro-Palestinian and stuff like that. It's kind of like, you know, your problem isn't with me. It's with God. God said he's given it to Israel and to their descendants forever and ever and ever. Yeah, but right now they're in dis—yeah, I understand all that. But we we want to take something away from what God says? I don't think so. <laughs> So that brings us to number three, the part that Israel plays for now, found in verse 28. He says, concerning the gospel, in other words, from a temporary standpoint, they are enemies for your sake. Why do I say for a temporary standpoint? Well, how do we look at the gospel? Christ died for our sins, just like God said he would in the Old Testament. He was buried, he rose again the third day according to to the Scriptures. Okay? What's the everlasting uh, covenant uh, gospel? Pastor? Huh. That's the one that gets preached during the Tribulation. Now, please understand, there's no difference in all of that in the sense that what is the end result of believing the Gospel? Well, Lord willing, you're going to be worshiping God. Okay, because if you're not, then maybe you didn't really catch the whole drift of the gospel. Okay, you're a dirty, rotten scum of the earth. Sinner deserves nothing but hell. And God, in his grace, love, and mercy, did everything that was necessary so that you could be saved, including give you the gift of faith. Open your eyes so you could see the truth. And uh, at that point, you're, you're like Peter. You grab Jesus by the legs and say, depart from me. I am a sinful man. That's worship. You're recognizing he's up here. I'm down here. Okay. And so uh, they're not different gospels, but notice in that particular case, an angel is actually preaching it. Um, God has given us the privilege, the opportunity to preach it through our lives and through our words uh, for the time being. So let me see, where am I? Number three, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Because of Israel's rejection of her Messiah, uh, she was set aside. That we talked about last week in verses 11 through 24. But concerning the election, uh, you know, I, I've grown to really like that word election. Um, no. <laughs> and, and the reason why I've grown to like it is because it's in the Bible. I mean, lots of different places. Now, sometimes it's translated chosen, okay? Uh, sometimes it's elect. The uh, whole point being is it's there. And I have no problem with the concept of free will. Believe me, there was a time when I was really up on the free will argument. But uh, the whole point is, is God chose us from before the foundations of the world. He chose Israel to be a part of everything that they've gone through. Yeah, he knew about it. And they're still chosen. Okay, He even says, you know, there was nothing big about you. You were the smallest of the nations. I found you along the side of the road, naked and bloody. I, got, I grabbed you, I cleaned you up, I put some clothes on you, and I, I raised you, I loved you. That's what he's saying about Israel. And so ultimately he is going to bring her back into uh, that relationship with him. So, But concerning the election... From the permanent, eternal standpoint, concerning the gospel, from the temporary standpoint. Concerning election, from the permanent, eternal standpoint, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. You know, isn't it interesting that Abraham is talked about, uh, yeah, in in the gospels he's talked about, he's talked about in the book of Romans, showing that when he believed he wasn't circumcised and there was no law. Why? So that anybody that believed like him could come into this relationship with God, they didn't have to be under the law and circumcised. Uh, we we see him again in the book of Galatians and in other places because uh, God has a love for this man, and it uh, worked out uh, to be the kind of thing that would continually be the lessons for those people. Notice Deuteronomy 7-8, therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love Him and keep His commandments. Deuteronomy nine five. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, that He may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers. Notice to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Deuteronomy ten fifteen. The Lord delighted only in your fathers. To love them, and He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. So, who are those fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Number four, He is bound by His own promise. Letter A for the gifts and calling of God. The word gift there is charisma. Uh, it's where we get charismatic. Okay, they they do a lot of emphasizing of the gifts. Uh, in the charismatic church, Uh, this is a divine gratuity, deliverance from danger or passion, a spiritual endowment, religious qualification, or miraculous faculty. It is a free gift, flowering from the pure and holy, unmerited favor of God. So his uh, gifts come from the fact that God wanted to give them to you, had nothing to do with you. And then uh, his calling, the klesis, an invitation, figuratively, a calling. In context, it refers to God's divine election of Israel. Now, what about these gifts and calling? Letter B, they are irrevocable. I told you it was a big word. I'm not talking about how many letters or how many syllables. I'm talking about what it says here. The word uh, for irrevocable is ametemet. Wow. Irrevocable without repentance, not to be repented of. In other words, God is going to Fulfill what he has said numbers do twenty three nineteen God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do, or has he spoken, and will he not make it good jeremiah thirty one thirty five to thirty seven again I've read these before, but let's do it again. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the seas, and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth be searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. There are plenty of things that they've done wrong. Oh, by the way, so has the church. Okay. Uh, Yeah, Larry. Larry. Yeah, yeah. And again, we're spiritual Israel. They just transfer the name and make it spiritual. Uh, you, you've, uh, I, I would say that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are really more of a problem. Um, because we are participants in the new covenant, but the covenant was not made with us, as I pointed out. It's with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If it had just said with the house of Israel, it's kind of, like, yeah, but Judah, yeah, what, what part of the church is Judah? It must be the pastoral staff. No, that's not it. Um, so uh, it, it is one of those things where I just, they've, they've got to do some spiritual jumping jacks, and uh, it just doesn't work for me. And, and again, I'm a, I'm a literalist. Uh, they approach the interpretation of Scripture a little bit different than we do. Um, and I'm not going to say they're not saved. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is I think they're wrong. And during the rapture, they'll find out we were right. Okay, <laughs> but but again, you can see, uh, wh- what is it going to take for God to say, nope, I'm done with Israel? The sun's got to stop coming up, the moon and the stars at nighttime, then we'll talk about it. The waves got to stop, the tide going in and out, that's got to stop. Uh, not going to happen in this cycle, <laughs> okay? So, uh, irrevocable. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Now, one of the things that I've pointed out, and, and hopefully you understand the gist, if God can spiritualize everything and make the church Israel, then your salvation is not secure. Because he can spiritualize something, and... Change things? No, God's not like that, and that's ultimately what they have to say—that God's character is somewhat flawed there because He He made this statement. It's plain and clear what He says, and well, now He means this. You can't trust someone that's like that. So that brings us to the next page. Salvation would include forgiveness. Oops, I'm already there. We're on that page. I'm sorry. It brings us to the next section. Letter D, to glorify God's generosity in verses 30 through 32. What are some of God's uh, generous attributes, if you will? How about mercy? Uh the word for mercy is eleo uh to uh compassionate by word or deed especially by divine grace to have compassion to have pity on to have or obtain uh mercy uh that which is given through, uh, though undeserved that's basically what mercy is it's you, you're it's given to you you don't deserve it okay it is given to the gentiles uh, in verse 30, yet uh, have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. It will be given to Israel again, that through the mercy shown you, the Gentiles, they, Israel, also may obtain mercy. And that's found in verse 31. Uh, how about uh, disobedience? Uh, this isn't a... Uh, 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 attribute of God, but it's uh, what talked about in this uh, passage here. Apatheia, disbelief. Obstinate and rebellious, disobedience, unbelief. I think it's interesting that disobedience and unbelief are tied together. They are meaning the same thing. Think about it any time you struggle with a temptation. The temptation is if you do this you're going to experience said whatever. If you believe the lie, you'll do it. What is he offering you? He's offering you only that which God, by you experiencing abundant life, gives. So he's telling you, you can find what only God can give you over here. And if you believe the lie you are going to be disobedient. Okay? So it is unbelief. What did God say? You can only find it here. Satan comes along and says, Oh, no, you can find it over here, too. Okay, let's go over there. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did, if you think about it. Okay? So um, disobedience. The Gentiles had been disobedient. Before salvation, they were out there and you know, lost, far from God, etc. Uh, for as you were once disobedient to God Ephesians 2 2 and I don't know why but I guess I missed that verse yep I missed that one that's okay you can look it up and then Colossians 3-7 basically talks about how they were far from God and they, uh, finally were brought near. Uh, the Jews were now disobedient to God. That would be in this present age during the church age. Their disobedience, uh, verse 30. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, verse 31. So he's talking about, uh, Israel there. Number three, for God has committed them all to disobedience, or if you will, unbelief, that he might have mercy on all. Romans 3.9, what then? Are we better than they, speaking of the Jewish people? Not at all, for we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that all are under sin. Uh, Galatians 3.22, but, but the Scripture has confined all under z- sin, <coughs> excuse me, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So everybody is uh, disobedient or under sin, and uh, God has committed Israel specifically uh, to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Why? Because all need it. That brings us to letter E, to glorify God's incomprehensibility. Now, there's a big word, (laughs) okay? Notice he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I don't know about you, but I, I enjoy reading through Proverbs to see God's wisdom demonstrated in words that relate to things that we go through in this world. Not only the good that he promises, but also, hey, notice There's another side to these things, and you're already bent towards that. You really don't want to be going there because, well, it'll be a problem for you. (laughs) Okay, Uh, but to see God's wisdom displayed in not only the Proverbs, but how about how he dealt with Israel? Uh, This morning, I took over uh, Wayne Cormier's class uh, because he was down at Blues Creek. And so I had the family Sunday school class and the teen boys in one area. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I was going to continue the study that we're doing in Second Cor- uh, Corinthians. And, um, we ended up talking about, uh, someone that uh, has been through a rough patch here. And, uh, we went to Hebrews chapter 12. And, uh, this was not part of the plan. Okay. But but it fit, and, and it was important to go through chapter 12 because, well, like Pastor asked this morning, uh, where are our children? What's happened to our kids? Uh, I, I think sometimes we kind of forget that we we orient ourselves towards good behavior, bad behavior. My, my wife constantly tells me to behave. I say, I'm always behaving. I just don't behave the way you want me to. Um, the issue is not the behavior. It's the heart. And I'm seeing that with my grandchildren now as my kids are uh, raising their kids and uh, seeing how they're dealing with uh, some of the the issues. And it's kind of like, you know, if you don't get the heart, it doesn't matter if they won't do it in front of you. When you're not looking, they'll do it. And when you stop looking, they'll do it again. Why? Because they're twisted that way, okay? But uh, we got into uh, uh, chapter 12 there, and it says that we should run with endurance the race that's set before us. And you remember that it goes on to say, Jesus looked to the joy that was before him, and then he endured the cross. When we're going through trials, we're normally looking at the trial. You want to get through the trial in a way that pleases God? Look to what God is trying to do in that trial. He's making me more like Jesus. I need to get to the other side of this thing. I don't need to get away from it. I don't need to worry about my failure or my success in it. I need to look to God to get me through this because he's making me more like Jesus. Now, in so doing, he might be pointing out something that's in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And we normally don't like that because every problem or conflict that we have with other people, whose fault is it? It's the other person, right? No, God might be, uh, especially when you do it over and over and over again. You ever, well, most of you have been married and, you know, your wife is just really a problem for years. Uh, Maybe it's not your wife. (laughs) Larry's going, no, no, it's not her. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the, the reality is, is your wife is the sandpaper that God's using on you. And if you're not going to listen, she might be the chisel and hammer that God is using on you. Uh, same thing with kids, with parents. You know, uh, a kid that listens and learns, you don't got to be so rough with them. Uh, some of them you need to smack right outside the head. And, of course, that that chapter comes into don't despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. The, the Everybody looks at that as like the spanking stuff. How about the training you're going through the trials, and you're learning how to endure a little bit longer each time, uh, and I basically brought up the concepts of going to the gym, where uh, when I started over the summer again, I'm doing leg press with really light weight, but I'm doing high repetitions, four sets of 20, and the first time it was 20, 18, 16, 15. Now, we have added weight to that. And now I'm doing 20, 20, 20, and 20. It's almost time to add more weight to that. And as I'm adding weight, I'm finding I can continue to do the high reps. Why? Because we built a good foundation by failing so many times. And the same thing is true in our Christian life. Uh, God is not looking at the failure. He's looking at what he's doing. He's developing all those spiritual muscles. So there comes a time where, okay, it's going to be a little bit rougher this time. I got you, Lord, or you got me. I know we're going to get through this by your grace. And, uh, so, but we taught on that because why? Because the wisdom of God, He knows everything about us, the knowledge of God. He knows how to, uh, how we can get through these things, how we can endure through them. Uh, you know, some people have looked at, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13, where God doesn't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation provides a way of escape. Everyone's looking for the escape. The way of escape is walk with Him through it. He never intended for you to go through the, the real difficult things by yourself. And we all try. And we all fail. Because we can't. So, the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out job 11 and 7 can you search out the deep things of god can you find out the limits of the almighty psalm 36 6 your righteousness is like the great mountains your judgments are a uh, great deep O lord you preserve man and beast and uh, for whatever reason, I forgot to put uh, Psalm 92:5 in there. That's okay. You can look it up yourself. <laughs> um, the word uh, "how unsearchable" here is "anorexic." No, that's not it. It's "anexerunetos." Wow, uh, <laughs> uh, not searched out, inscrutable, unsearchable. It refers to tracks that are unable to be tracked you know you you're following a a set of tracks through the uh wilderness uh bunny deer whatever and it's snowing and after a while you can't find them anymore that that's the idea there there were tracks there but you you can't search them out anymore uh that is the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Uh, Number two, man's inability to understand. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Uh, Isaiah 40, 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who has, as his counselor, has taught him? Obviously nobody. 2 Corinthians 2.13, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times when I told God, you know, if I were you, I would have done it this way. Now, you're going to say, well, I would never say that. But how many times do we get upset with how God does things because he didn't do it the way we thought he should have done it? I think we should have a different president. See what I'm saying? We we get upset because God didn't do it our way. Uh, yeah. Uh, back down. <laughs> Slow down. Uh, you're not in the place to say those things. Letter B. Or who has first given to him that it should be repaid to him? Job 35:7. Uh, if you are righteous, what do you give him, or what does he receive from your hand? Now, notice there's a condition there, if you're righteous. What does God get from you just because you're righteous? Nothing, because He's righteous. Uh, The gospel, according to uh, Romans 1.17, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In uh, Romans 4.4, it says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies, declares righteous, the ungodly. So, so what do we bring to the table? Just our sinful old (laughs) selves. Okay, God is the one that's righteous. But if you were, what would you add to Him? Nothing. Job 41.11 Who has preceded me? Who came before me that I should pay Him? Everything under heaven is mine. Everything under heaven is mine. If you believe in tithing, the tenth that you give to the church belongs to God. Now, I hope you don't believe in tithing. Uh, Read the New Testament. Uh, But whatever's left, it's not yours. It's his too. Now, he's provided it so you can pay the electric bill and and pay for gas, uh, (laughs) things like that. Uh, But uh, it all belongs to him. Uh, We don't bring anything to the table. Number three, God is the source of everything and therefore deserves glory. Notice he says, for of him and through him and to him are all things. First Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and the one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Colossians one sixteen. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, and visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you listen carefully to that verse, what does it say that he created? It says here, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. If you don't remember, those are the guys that we are wrestling against. We, we, we don't, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. Why? Because we wrestle against these guys. They're the fallen angels that would tempt us, would try and ruin us if we listen to them, that kind of thing. Those are all created by God and for God. They're part of His plan. Interesting. Um, letter B, to whom be glory forever, amen. Now, I've got a bunch of verses there. Well, let me just read a couple. I'll go like every other one or something. Galatians 1.5, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Second Timothy 4.18, For the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews 13.21, Make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so on. You can look the rest up yourself. Whole point being is uh, Israel... Blinded temporarily. Uh, Their unbelief, part of God's plan. Uh, They are elect. It's not because they're something. It's because God chose them. They're the ones that rejected uh, their Messiah when he sent them. It was all part of God's uh, uh, plan to bring the church about, to bring Gentiles into that, as well as Jews. And ultimately, when that comes to its end, he's going to go back and finish the work in Israel. And all of Israel, all of those who are believing like Abraham believed, will be saved. Uh, There's not really a reason to think that somehow God has twisted things, spiritualized them or anything like that. And uh, that is all part of the mercy of God. Uh, Next week, we're going to see what our response ought to be because of the mercy of God. Any questions or thoughts? Excellent. Let's pray. Father, as we close our time together, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful. You are true. And what you have promised Abraham you are ultimately going to fulfill. We look forward to the day when Jesus Christ will come back. Yes, to gather us, to be with him, to be glorified, uh, to be the bride, but also to know that you are going to bring about what you have told us about in your word, the plans that you have made to bring Israel to repentance. We look forward to the day when we will rule and reign with Christ in that millennial kingdom and get to see the rest of your plan being worked out, and then someday to know that we are going to be spending eternity with you. Thank you again for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. Give us grace this week to consecrate you in our hearts, to seek first the kingdom of God, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we may shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation, that some might ask us, why are you like that? So that we could share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Lord, we ask that you might bring more people to yourself through our living. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All righty, you're dismissed. Lord will and see you on Wednesday night. In the meantime, honor God, give him glory.